Welcome to Exploring the Scriptures with Dr. Ron Bartholomew. Now here is Dr. Ron Bartholomew. Joseph Smith administered the Endowment and Organized the Relief Society. Earlier, as the saints in Ohio were preparing to build the current temple, the Lord had promised that in his house he would endow those whom I have chosen with power from on high. At that, as that temple was completed and dedicated in early 1836, there was a great spiritual outpouring upon the saints. The Savior appeared and accepted the temple. The ancient prophets Moses, Elias, and Elijah then appeared to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery, and was toward keys of the priesthood for the gathering of Israel and the introduction of the additional sacred ordinances. Temples were planned in Missouri, but never constructed because persecution drove the faithful from the state. After Nauvoo was established as the new gathering place, the Lord revealed that a temple was needed because there was no place on earth where he could come and restore the fullness of the priesthood. The saints were also instructed that their washings and their anointings, like their baptisms for the dead, should be performed in a sacred place, hence the command to build another temple. The revelation continued, quote, Let this house be built under my name, that I may reveal my ordinances therein unto my people. He introduced these ordinances to a few trusted Latter-day Saints in the upper room of his rhetoric story on May 4th, 1842. At that time, it was virtually the only large place in Nauvoo that were a group of good assembled in privacy. Prior to the completion of the temple, the upper floor of the store was used as an ordinance room, and the first endowments were given there. On the 3rd of May, with the help of others, the prophet arranged his office and the assembly room to present the interior of the temple as much as the circumstances would permit. On the afternoon of the following day, the prophet administered the first endowments to a slave group, which included Hiram Smith, Church Patriarch, Brigham Young, Heber C. Kimmel, and Will Richard to the Two Apostles, Newell K. Whitney, General Bishop, and George Miller, President of the Nauvoo High Priest Quorum and a General Bishop, and James Adams, President of the Springfield Branch. Joseph Smith reported this significant event, quote, I spent the day in the upper part of the store instructing them in the principles of the order of the priesthood, attending to washings, anointings, endowments, and the communication of keys pertaining to the Iranian priesthood, and so on to the highest order of the Melchizedek priesthood, setting forth the order pertaining to the ancient days, and all those plans and principles by which anyone is, is enabled to secure the fullness of those blessings which have been prepared for the church, the firstborn, and come up and abide in the presence of the hell with Elohim in the, in the eternal worlds. The Lord had pronounced these ordinances necessary to open the gate to eternal life and exaltation. Thus, they were sought after by faithful Latter-day Saints. Gradually, over the next two years, Joseph Smith introduced the endowment to approximately 90 men and women. He also gave particular instructions to the two apostles concerning the keys of these ordinances, instructing them to give the endowment to the wealthy saints in the temple when it was completed. By December of 1845, the temple was officially complete to perform the ordinances. Historical background, DNC 129. Joseph escaped from his persecutors in Missouri in the spring of 1839. Knowing that his days were numbered and he had none to spare, Joseph gathered several of the apostles on June 27, 1839, exactly five years before his violent death, at the hands of a murderous mob, and taught them what he had learned a decade earlier from Michael about the detecting of the devil when he appeared as an angel of light. Wilfred Woodruff drew tiny, symbolic keys in his journal when he wrote that what he learned about the keys of the kingdom of God Joseph presented in order to detect the devil when he transforms himself nigh 
and to an angel of light. In the summer of 1840, Joseph Tutte's keys to William Clayton, a trusted coward, recently arrived from England. In April 1842, he introduced the principles recorded in Dr. Cohen's section 129 to the Relief Society. The following month, he gave the saints a temple preparation seminar, including an explanation that there are, quote, certain signs and words which false spirits and personages may be detected from the true, which can be revealed to the others till the temple is completed. A few days later, Joseph and dad of few church leaders in a temporary temple in the second store of his novel store. He was was there, and subsequently wrote to fellow apostle Party Pipat, who remained in England to reside over the mission, quote, We have received some precious things to the poet on the priesthood that would cause your soul to rejoice, he wrote. I cannot give them to you on paper, for they are not to be written, so you must go and get them for yourself. Party arrived in Nauvoo early in 1843, eager to be taught by Joseph. At a February 9th meeting, Joseph instructed him in the keys he had learned from Michael and had subsequently taught to Wilford, he were and a few others. The entry in Joseph's journal for that day is the source of Dr. Cohen's section 129. As taken from his team C. Harper, making sense of the Dr. Cohen's, page 46 and 47, page 466 and 467, Joseph said, An angel of God never has wings. Some will say that they have seen a spirit, that he has uttered in his head, but they did not touch it. This is a lie. First, it is contrary to the plan of God. A spirit cannot come in in glory. An angel has special bones, but we see not their glory. The devil may appear to you as an angel of light. Ask God to reveal it. If it be of the devil, he will flee from you. If it be of God, he will manifest himself or make you manifest. That's from the teachings of the Prophet Joseph, page 162. Quote, Wicked spirits have their bounds, limits and laws by which they are governed or controlled, and it is very evident that they possess a power. But none, but none but those who have the priesthood can control. Joseph's History of the Church, session, volume 4, page 576. From his public remarks, it would seem clear that the prophet Joseph connected the substance of Doctrine and Covenants, section 129, with the ordinances of the temple, and believed that the information in this revelation held increasing significance for those who had been endowed. Concerning his first May 1842 sermon, Joseph recorded in the History of the Church, quote, I preached in the grove on the keys of the kingdom of charity, etc. The keys are certain signs and words by which false spirits and purchases may be detected from the true, which can be revealed to the others so the temple is completed. I want to take a second and bear my testimony of this from personal experience. I know the things that I am sharing with you now are sacred, but they're also very real. I have experienced the ministry of angels on more than one occasion. I've seen the angels appear to me I know that they were from God because I tried the test in section 129 with them. I know section 129 deals with the temple, but I also know it deals with the manifestation of spirits to us as they come to us from God to teach us things or just to cover us. I wish I could say more about this, but I can't. I just want you to know that I know that the things that are being tired are true from personal experience. Ella Holland said, quote, May I suggest to you one of the things we need to teach our students, and one of the things which will become more important in their lives, the longer they live, is the reality of angels, their work in their ministry. Obviously, I speak here not alone of the angel Moroni, but also of those more personal ministering angels who are around us, with us, and empowered to help us and do exactly that. Perhaps more of us, including our students, could literally, or at least figuratively, be all the angels around us if we would be awakened from our stupor and hear the voice of the Spirit. As those, angels try to, as those angels try to speak to us. 
I believe we need to speak of and believe in and bear testimony to the ministry of angels more than we sometimes do. They constitute one of God's great methods of witnessing through the veil. As for Miller Holland, a standard to my people, C.S. Symposium at BYU on the 9th of August, 1994, pages 11 to 13. Joseph F. Smith said, quote, Messengers are sent to minister to the heavens and the earth. They are not strangers, but from the ranks of our kindred friends and fellow beings and fellow servants. The ancient prophets who died were those who came to visit their fellow creatures upon the earth. In like manner, our fathers and mothers, our brothers and sisters and friends who passed away from this earth, have and faithful and worthy to enjoy their rights and privileges, we have a mission given them to visit their friends and relatives upon the earth again, bringing from the divine presence messages of love of warning of reproof and instruction to those who they have learned to love in the flesh. That's from Gospel Doctrine, page 435 to 436. I've got to get a drink. Now let's talk a little bit about the early society. On March 17, 1842, the following occurred. Sarah Kimball was talking to Miss Cook. We do not know who she was. And they went to do something nice for the temple workers. They decided to make them shirts. They invited other sisters to help them with the project and discuss things they could do to help the people in general. Eliza R. Snow drew up a constitution for the women's organization, which included bylaws. She took the bylaws to Joseph, who stated that they were written well, but not what, quite what he thought they should be. Joseph wanted some time to look at them and meet with the brethren before he met with the sisters again. John Taylor proposed that they, be called the, that they called the organization the Nauvoo Female Benevolent Society. Anyone didn't like that name. The vision they ended up being the Female Early Society of Nauvoo. Everyone was elected president and served for two years. Will Richards was also among, along with the 18 women, Joseph and John Taylor. There were 26 sisters in the organization, in the original organization. Eight sisters could not be present at the meeting, but were given membership. They were the, they were a special group of people. By September of 1842, there were 1,189 women who had joined. Joseph said, quote, the church was never perfectly organized until the women, the women were thus organized. Beginning in March of 1844, Emma began using her position as president to undermine her husband's efforts to institute plural marriage more than the Inavu, enlisting her sisters in the early setting in the battle. By opposing the practice her husband was promoting, she would descend to the inner circles of the church. Emma's actions, like those of other prominent saints in Nauvoo, threatened the essential order without which the church could not survive. As a result, the early city was disbanded for several years. It was not officially reinstated until 1867. I think there's a great lesson that we learned from this experience. Emma didn't want Joseph Smith to practice plural marriage. I get that. He didn't want to do it either himself, personally. He was only doing it because the Lord had told him he had to do it as part of the restitution of the fullness of times. When we go against the prophet, whatever degree, we go against the Lord. That's something we all need to know, especially in the last days as we move further and further away from the way the world is doing things. The prophet, President Nelson, continues to try to get us to do things the way the Lord would have us do them, which is not the way the world would do them. As a result, we see a lot of our neighbors and friends leaving the church, sometimes in mass. It's so critical that we stay faithful to the church. It's so critical that we stay faithful to the prophet. Even the prophet's wife, Emma, did not stay faithful to him. That's really sad, but it's true. And as a result, she was released from her calling and the early society was disbanded. It was not officially restated until 1867. I think there's a great lesson we can learn here from Emma herself. She was the brother's wife, and yes, she was not faithful to him. 
we need to be faithful to the president just no matter what no matter what comes our way there will be there will be talks there will be dissent there will be this there will be that we just need to stay faithful to the prophet if we don't we'll fall in the same place that Emma did and that is against the prophet of the Lord something we never want to do ever 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 want to do that I'm watching my neighbors and friends many of them leave the church they have their reasons they're often attached to something historical the plural marriage or blacks in the priesthood or whatever the case may be how ridiculous to leave the church or something that happened years and years ago when it can't even be understood in our modern context those things can only be understood in the 19th century context with which we don't have that anymore I just want to bear my testimony with the trueness of the prophet who is calling and the necessity for us to uphold the prophet of the Lord now, there were two aspects of Joseph Smith's teachings to the women of the study. They might be unfamiliar to members of the church today. In fact, they will be unfamiliar to you. First is his use of language associated with the priesthood. In organizing the Relief Society, Joseph Smith spoke of ordaining women and said the Relief Society officers would preside over the society. He also declared, I now turn the key to you in the name of God. These statements indicate that Joseph had delegated priesthood authority to women in the, in the early society. Joseph's language can be more fully understood in historical context. During the 19th century, Latter-day Saints used the term keys to refer to various types of authority, knowledge, or temple ordinances. Likewise, members of the church sometimes use the term ordain in a broad sense, often interchangeably with, with set apart and not always referring to priesthood office. On these points, Joseph's actions illuminate the meaning of his words. Neither Joseph Smith, nor any person acting on his behalf, nor any of his successors, conferred the Aaronic or the Melchizedek priesthood on women ordained women to priesthood offices. Ever. In later years, words like ordination and keys were more precisely, were more precisely defined as a President John Taylor, who acted by assignment by Joseph Smith to ordain his set apart, Emma Smith and her counselors, explained that the ordination that he then, he then given did not mean the conferring of the priesthood upon these sisters. Women did receive authority to reside in the women's organization and to appoint officers as needed to conduct the organization in the pattern of the priesthood, including being led by a president with counselors. The second aspect of Joseph's teachings to us really say that are unfamiliar today, unfamiliar today is his endorsement of women's participation in giving blessings of healing. Respecting the female laying on of hands, the Lord has recorded Joseph has said that, quote, it is no sin for anybody to do it that has faith and managed, quote, if the sisters should have faith to heal the sick, let all hold their tongues and let everything roll on. Unquote. Some women have performed such blessings since the early days of the church. At that time, Latter-day Saints understood the gift of, the he- of healing, primarily in terms of the New Testament's teaching, that it was one of the gifts of the Spirit available to believers through faith. Joseph Smith taught that the gift of healing was a sign that would follow all who believed, whether male or female. During the 19th century, women frequently blessed the sick by the prayer of faith, and many women received priesthood blessings, promising that they would have the gift of healing. The women, who, the women who were involved in this practice were primarily those who had received their endowments, and many believed that they were acting by virtue of their priesthood authority they had received with their husbands in the temple. I have seen many demonstrations of the power and blessing of the God through the administration of the sisters, Tessa Elizabeth and Smith Whitney, who was, by her own account, blessed by Joseph Smith to exercise this gift. In reference to these healing blessings, the say General President Elizabeth Lazar Snow in 1838, women can minister in the name of Jesus, but not by virtue of the priesthood. They can minister in the name of Jesus, but not by virtue of the priesthood. 
Women's participation in healing blessings gradually declined in the early 20th century as church leaders thought that it was preferable to follow the directive to call for the others. I'm old enough that I actually saw a woman administer to the... She heard her husband fell off the roof of the, of the house and she blessed him by virtue of the priesthood that he held. That's the only thing I ever saw. Interestingly and significantly, it was the sisters in the general, the state and orderly side presidencies, that regulated this practice and increasingly sought the council to presenting procedures in this regard. I, I hope you'll see the female ritual healing by Stephen Hoglid, Journal of Modern History, winter of 2011, page 185. By 1926, Church President Hero J. Grant affirmed that the first presidency, quote, do not encourage calling in the sisters to administer to the sick. As the scriptures tell us to call in the elders who hold the priesthood of God, had the power and authority to administer to the sick in the name of Jesus. Currently, the church is too. Administering the church directs that only Melchizedek priesthood holders may administer to the sick or the afflicted. So here we have two big changes in the church. One was linguistic. One was practice. One was practice, where for many years women did administer for the healing of the sick, the blessings, the blessings for the healing of the sick. Interestingly and significantly, it's important to note that. As the brethren were brought into counts on this, they originally did not want to give the healing of the sick to men. They wanted the women to do it because the women were close to the, to the children, etc. But as they studied the scriptures and realized that in James it does say that the call for the others, they realized it was a Melchizedek priesthood responsibility. And they changed the course of the church to have the healing blessings be performed by those who had the Melchizedek priesthood and not by the sisters. This is very difficult for some of the sisters to take, to realize that in the 19th century, they had an ability that in the 20th century they did not have. But I bear testimony that as we learn more and more and say the scriptures more carefully, it's easier to see why the sick and afflicted are administered to by the, by the elders and not by the sisters, even though the sisters could do by the power of faith. To many, this may seem like we're going backwards, but actually we're going forwards as we learn more and more become more familiar with the scriptures and what the scriptures teach, especially the New Testament. I want to bear my testimony that I know that women have not had things taken away from them. Rather, women have had their responsibilities redefined as we've more closely understood the, what, the scriptures, what the scriptures have been teaching. So while it may feel like something's been taken away from the sisters, in reality, the sisters are, are being brought in more in line with the, what the scriptures teach which is the purpose of the restoration of all things in the beginning anyway. Now, I know many men who would love it if the sisters could minister to the sick. They would love it if the sisters could do it because the sisters, sisters have faith and they're with the children more than the men are. But in the world we live in, it's the men that have that responsibility, not the women. And it's just our responsibility to accept the church as growing line upon line, precept upon precept, here little, there little. little and eventually we'll know all things in full. I also want to bring my testimony to the fact that while the words may be used differently in the 19th century, the words have been changed. The words have not changed. The words have been more refined as we've gathered a more clear view of what the words mean. And so ordain, etc., are words that are associated with the priesthood now and not with the sisters, although they originally, when before things were totally understood they were used with the sisters as well so it feels like the sisters have lost a lot but really they have not they've gained in that we have understood the scriptures more clearly I bear my testimony that and I say in the name of Jesus Christ Amen
Thank you for joining us today for Exploring the Scriptures. Join us next time for another enlightening discussion here on Exploring the Scriptures with Dr. Ron Bartholomew.